This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Lyndon Smith of Botanist and Barrel. They create delicious, nuanced Southern natural cider and wine. Be sure to reach out to Lyndon and Botanist and Barrel and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. He's Lyndon Smith. I'm Rich Shane. This is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Lyndon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Well, I'm excited because we're going to talk cider and we're going to talk more importantly, botanist and barrel cider of Asheville, North Carolina. But where we want to get started and where we're going to go right from now is, how did that all get started for you? Oh, it's, a, this is, it's quite an extensive backstory. Uh, so I'll try That's to okay. We it. have four or five hours. The, the listener oh. will, will haunt. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a Tim Ferriss extravaganza. We'll, we'll go for eight hours like he does. <laughs> I'll try to keep it short and sweet. Um, so myself and my wife, Amy Fields, both have really strong wine, natural wine backgrounds. We were both um, either started or ran uh, important distribution companies uh, in the southeastern United States for natural wine. And then my sister and brother-in-law, so that's Kether Smith and Derek McGuffey, were both formerly trained chefs and worked in some of the best kitchens in the southeastern United States as well. Taking it back two generations on both sides of our family. So on our mom's side, our dad's side, we had uh, people making uh, wine. Um, so my grandfather's father was kind of involved in making the village wine uh, in a little town called Brignol in Southern France. And on my dad's side, um, my grandfather, Abe, kind of paid his way through medical school making bathtub tropical hooch. Uh, is the way my dad describes it. So we kind of come by it, honestly, it skipped a generation. And then, you know, all of us kind of had this love of local agriculture. Um, you know, Southern terroir is something that's, you know, really important to us. And then we had this, you know, food and beverage background, the perfect, uh, beautiful storm happened. There was this kind of defunct blueberry farm that came for sale um, right outside of where, you know, my sister and I grew up. Um, our folks bought a piece of it. Uh, about a year later, the other piece came for sale. Um, we all my, that where we stepped in and bought that. We merged the whole farm back together, so it's 98 acres. Um, now we're growing blueberries, apples, uh, a little bit of pear, um, some persimmons, some pawpaw, uh, and then a lot of botanicals uh, as well there that go into making botanist and barrel cider. And so this, you know, perfect storm kind of happened. Um, 
it happened to have a 10,000 square foot warehouse on it. And that's where we knew, uh, you know, we were going to do botanist and barrel and start making um, Southern natural cider and wine. See, this is exactly why I've been excited to speak with you. We, when we were in Asheville, we must've been in your cidery and I know you do wine there too. And, and you do an amazing, you do amazing food. It's the only cidery that I've ever been to that has pate on the menu and mm-hmm. uh, some really cool things. But there's there's so much detail to your story. I mean, Amy was gracious. It was a wonderful time. And, uh, you know, for us, for Dawn and I, you know, it's it's we thirst for more, you know, to use kind of a pun with drinking cider. But we <laughs> thirst for more. We're, we're very interested in you know, how things got to where they are. And it sounds like this has always been, or for such a long time, as you talked about, this is in your blood. This is in your veins. The the the, the soil, the earth, creating something and then taking it and producing something wonderful in, into a bottle, into a glass. As, as, a, as a child, you talked about, you know, your recollection of some of the stories or you know, maybe some things you were consuming from the family, but what were some of the earlier childhood recollections for you to say, I really like this. This is good. Yeah. So, you know, one of the first photos I ever saw of myself, um, which is before I have any you know actual memory is there's this picture of me in a stroller reaching out and just grabbing flowers, uh, like a handful of them. And so, you know, my mom always jokes that it was just, you know, there's no way that I wasn't going to be somehow involved in farming and, and local agriculture. But, you know, as a, as a kid, as kids, Kether and I had this great uh, life in the summers. And so our grandparents, when they came over from France, they, you know, you can't buy land in France. It's just, it, you know, it's not bought and sold. It's just passed down, you know, generationally. My grandfather's one of 10. Um and so, you know, they, they came over, he, he retired from, you know, working at the World Bank, came to the U.S. and immediately um, bought some very inexpensive land in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, um, in a place called Warren Center. Um, and we would go up there every summer. There was this old kind of cottage uh, and we would, you know, go up there for a couple of weeks at a time and we would just forage. So we would make things like Chateau Green Acres which was basically just, you know, wild raspberries soaked with a little extra sugar and vodka. And we would, you know, do the Wait, same Wait, I'm rating that recipe cherries. down. I, I want to <laughs> make it's that. It's very simple. That is so cool. It's so simple. And, you know, so we were, you know, we would forage for fruits that would then just go into the pancakes for breakfast. Uh, and, you know, these are some of my fondest memories as a child. And, and the same, you know, goes for my sister, Kether. And so there's always just this... Um, this love for just being out in the woods and collecting and gathering and then taking it home and making something, you know, beautiful and delicious out of it. So your first picture, a recollection of your first picture is you grabbing flowers. My first Mm -hmm. recollection of some of the pictures I remember is my grandfather, Bill, and I guess they put me on a bar and sat me on a bar. So I, 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 you know, there's that connection to what we're doing a little bit Mm -hmm. in a way and I love, I love the story. I love, you know, as, as, as you grew up, the connection to the earth, the connection to agriculture. And I think it's so important. And I'm sure it's part of your education too, to help people understand all the hard work you're doing to what you're creating. So people understand there's so much more significance to that bottle. There's so much more significance than just, hey, it's a cider, it's a wine. 
and talk about some of those fruits that you're growing, that you're creating these micro ciders or micro wines that are more than what people expect. Yeah. So this, you know, we, we've got our own property. So we have a, what I call like a nano farm that's up in Leicester, North Carolina that I just built in our backyard. Uh, so it's a couple acres. I think there's 800 trees up there now it's blueberry, elderberry, some shiitake mushroom and a decent amount of bass variety of apple and then Southern heirloom apples. And then on our farm in Cedar Grove, we've got some trellising. So we're growing mainly Southern heirloom apples there, some pear. We've got a four acre uh, blueberry stand. And we're doing this all um, organic regenerative ag style. So we're not spraying any synthetics. Uh, we typically try to spray nothing ever. And we have many sites that are what I call never sprayed. So from day one, when the trees were planted, have never been sprayed. This over the past three seasons, we have uh, been lucky enough to have some new relationships and new partners come on board, where we have um, been able to have long-term leases for some new properties, um, some new established orchards that we, you know, did not plant, but have been around for sixty to twenty years already, uh, that have never been sprayed. So at this point, we're now managing um, or co-managing around 12 acres of never sprayed apples. And I can't quite explain how challenging that is to do in the South. Uh, you know, this climate that we have here, there are so much disease and insect pressure. Uh, you know, we dealt with a huge battle with Japanese beetles in Cedar Grove this past summer. Um, but there's so much disease and insect pressure and, you know, we, we do things um, in a completely different way. So there are very few organic orchards in the South uh, and that goes uh, in vineyards for that matter as well, because it's just really, really challenging to do it. But when you grow in small pockets and you're not doing big ag, you can do it successfully. So we have sites that range from 4,000 plus feet elevation all the way near the Tennessee border of North Carolina all the way down to just 500 feet, or even I think it's 200 feet elevation down in Cedar Grove. So we've got 12 of these sites now, and some of them have 40 trees, uh, some of them have 400. So kind of in between that range. And what we're really proud about being able to do uh, over the last two seasons is do these super site-specific ciders. So we have an early, a mid and a late season harvest from a specific orchard. And we're doing these all Petnat style. So uh, for Petnat, uh, it's short for Petalant Naturale. It's the oldest way of having carbonation. So a lot of ciders and wines we've had are bottle conditioned or done in the champagne method where you ferment something and then you add a new source of sugar and it re-ferments in the bottle to get carbonation. So to do Petnat, it's zero, zero. Oh, there goes the dog. <laughs> That's it's, okay. You say pet net and the dog perks up and gets excited. <laughs> so, I'm know, doing the nets, same thing. I just don't bark. <laughs> <laughs> for, for pet nets, it's zero, zero. So it means nothing in, nothing out. And so we're not adding yeast um, at any point, And we're not adding any additional source of sugar at any point. So you have to capture it at the perfect moment in time 
to have just enough residual sugar that it can finish fermenting in the bottle and be naturally sparkling in that way. And I just love it so much because it's a true snapshot in time. Uh, you know, every season's different in every orchard. Um, you know, a lot of apple trees are biannual, meaning they only produce every other year. So the blends are going to be different. And depending on how many chill hours there were through winter and depending on how humid or hot it was um, in any given growing season, you're going to have a totally um, different expression um, from each orchard dependent upon each season and what that brought with it. And so when we do these pet nut ciders, you know, even the yeast in the orchard, you know, those cultures are going to change from season to season a, a little bit. And so you have these one-offs, like this is the only cider like that period. Uh, and then the next year, you know, it could be something, you know, it'll be similar, but it'll, it could express in a totally different way. So we're really interested to see these, um, you know, verticals through time the 21 vintage versus the 22 and then the 23 from the same orchard, from the same season of picking. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a really fascinating, um, it's the true convergence of art and science. You've hit perfectly on the reason why when I try, let's say even your cider, I don't want to open up a bottle ever. It should be enjoyed. But once I open up and finish that bottle, that historical snapshot, the history of that time has been consumed. It's been enjoyed, but it's been consumed and it may never come back, come back again. And that's a very difficult thing when you open up and you savor. Um, I, I'm, I'm listening to the story. Uh, I'm, I'm learning more about Epicurious. And with Epicurious, I mean, it was it was small little things, a little pot of cheese, Right. That's where mm -hmm. we get Epicurean from the, the enjoyment of those little things, the food, the drink. And, and this is like that little you open up a bottle and it's like this is heaven. This is I can I can the provenance. You talk about so many different things with your ciders, you know, elevation here, elevation down here, yeast, mm -hmm. climate changes. It's exciting for you when you do the harvest. I, I can only imagine to, to watch those flavors and those textures just develop and say, wow, overwhelming. This is more than we expected, or this is so interesting. And that's when we met at SaderCon, you know, I, I was very fascinated by our, our brief conversation and, you know, just learning more about what you do, because honestly, Lyndon, I think across the spectrum, you are very organically detailed. You are very detailed in, you know, you're the farmer you're growing these and you know everybody has a different level of how they're going about the cider how they're going about the wine but you're you're getting your hands in there as we talked about and you're really cultivating that flavor that you want those grapes to shine with or these even the apples to shine with yeah i mean you know the same thing goes for you know a perfect plate of food you're only as good as the ingredients that you have yeah, you can never elevate over uh, the quality of food. And in this case, you know, the fruit that you're working with. So, you know, we just look at it as our jobs. You know, we're really just stewards. We're just trying to grow the best fruit possible and then treating it with as little intervention as possible once it gets into the winery to just let, you know, I, I saw this amazing bottle yesterday. Um, 
and it said at the bottom made by nature. And I was like, I don't, I don't think you can put it any better way than that. You know, we're just here kind of as uh, happy observers uh, and so much of, and so much of this, you know, I love your, I love your stewardship, your, your servant leadership to what you're doing. I, I don't want to wait anymore. We have three bottles here and which one should we start with? Pardon the interruption. If you like what you hear, if you love what you're hearing, please share the podcast. Please take a screenshot of the podcast, post it on your social media, tag us just to let everybody else know about Fermented Adventure, the podcast. We'd be grateful for your help to grow our podcast. You know, let's start, uh, let's start with that trauma net pet map. There we go. I picked the right bottle. Yeah, we, we kind of look at this one is um, North Carolina's champagne is kind of how we lovingly, lovingly call it. So we focus a lot on non-traditional vinifera grapes. So we, we work a lot with hybrids or the native grape uh, to the southeast, uh, which is muscadine. In this case, this is Traumanet. So this is uh, a hybrid. It's very much in the space of Gewürztraminer. So you're going to catch a lot of those kind of, you know, floral notes. Um, and this was done uh, as a patent So this is just hundred percent adult juice. Uh, it's just grapes. There's no added anything. Um, so this is done with ambient yeast. Uh, this is a open top fermentation uh, and then captured uh, just so, so that it's, it's carbonated inside of the bottle. There's such a brightness to mm -hmm. the nose on this. And you mentioned the Traminette, you mentioned Muscadine, you mentioned this is in the Gewürztraminer style, um, mm -hmm. or, or there's that kind of uh, nuance to it in a way, right? Yeah, like, this this has a, a minerality. Um, yeah. You know, we age it on its leaves for a while, so it's got a creaminess kind of texture to it, you know, on in the mouthfeel. Uh, we're just I haven't even gotten that far. <laughs> we're just really pleased and, and excited about it. And, you know, we're, we've started planting a little bit of our own grapes and, you know, we're doing own rooted uh, hybrids. So I'm, I'm big on unrooted because when you think about, you know, a lot of great, a lot of most grapes are grafted. Right. And it's kind of like if you cut your finger off and then put it back on. Uh, yeah, it may work, uh, but it's not going to work 100 percent. And so with own rooted because of all that pressure in the South, both, you know, for disease and insect, um, own rooted just gives it even that much more strength. So we're, we're kind of focused on hybrids and, and own rooted grape, uh, for our wine program. And so we put all our wines under a separate label that's called defy wine. Uh, and we kind of, we named it that intentionally, um, because when we first set out, you know, we were talking to a lot of people that make wine in the South and they were like, there's no way you can make spontaneously fermented wine and not add sulfites and not use Valcarin and not use, you know, a lot of the additions to make something uh, guaranteed to be a clean and predictable fermentation. And so we kind of named it Defy uh, as kind of like a little nod, like, no, we're going to try to defy the odds here uh, and see uh, what we can do. And, you know, we're on our fourth vintage for, you know, uh, for grape wine. Um, and we're getting better at it each year. And I'm, you know, super happy with this trauma net in particular. 
um, I look forward to drinking it every time I have the opportunity. I'm grateful that you're working so hard to keep the uniqueness, to keep what nature provided for this bottle. As you said, this is such a creamy mouthfeel. There's a minerality to it, as you described. There's a little bit of a bitterness that comes through. Um, mm -hmm. You get the sweetness of the grape. You get that 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 texture of you, you still know that there's apple in here and you still get that brightness and that vibrancy to it um almost I, I love the marriage to what you're doing this is delicious this is something to be very proud of and you said this is the fourth year and you're getting better i can't wait to see what five looks like on mm -hmm. this to those that are like i don't know about cider I'm more of a wine drinker. I think you bring them together and you introduce them to a whole genre that for them, this is, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm onto something now. This is something that's so tremendously delicious. And this goes with so many different things, some food pairings. I know that you guys just won an award, right? Yeah. So one of the other bottles will taste, um, there's this um, amazing group, uh, or, I, organization. I don't know exactly what they, what, how it identifies, but it's called the Good Food Awards. It's a guild. It's the Good Food Guild is what it is. Um, so the Good Food Awards, it's really cool because, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the competitions one would enter as a, as a brewer or winemaker, um, it's blind tasted and it's based on taste. Good food takes is, is that. So it's got to be tasty, but they take it to a whole nother level. So they vet you for your environmental responsibility um, and for making sure that you are a, um, a workplace for positive good. Um, so you can't just be any cider or any wine uh, to be um, in the running for a good food award. You also have to, you know, be prove that you're, you're growing in a responsible way. Um, and that you aren't, uh, doing a lot of manipulation and that you, you run a nice, good company, um, with happy employees and kind of all of those other things. So it's, it's taste plus, uh, it's making sure that you're a responsible business from, from top to bottom. Um, so it means something a little extra, you know, we're very focused on, you know, being an, an environmentally responsible company, um, and doing everything we can to make the cleanest product possible uh, without any waste. You know, I, I went to college for environmental studies, um, environmental economics in particular. And one of the things that I've always left with, probably the most valuable thing, was that if you're creating your every waste you have from a business perspective, you paid to create said waste. So if you have waste products left behind, you need to just find a way to reduce that as absolutely as much as possible. So that's one of the lenses we're always looking at everything through is how do we add and bring as few things into our winery as possible? And how do we make sure that we have as few things exit other than the intended uh, consumable? I, I love your perspective. I, I just love the way you come about how you want this for your business, botanist and barrel. I mean, you talked about Defy, but how did you come up with any botanist and barrel? You know, we we wanted that was that took almost 
a year and a half for us. To <laughs> was it, on a that day. wasn't like, hey, I scribbled something on a napkin and it, it poof, it was there. No, I think it was. I think it was my wife. I, I know we were all sitting around having dinner, uh, and it was towards. You know, I think just like we were snacking on something and, you know, drinking some cider and, you know, we had this, we, this, we wanted to have something that involved botanical um, because we wanted to, our name to reflect this idea of terroir and in in our case, particularly Southern terroir. Um, And it just, you know, that marriage just, it just popped out of her mouth like botanist in barrel. And we were like, that's it. That's the one. But it, it, it took a while for someone to, for the brainstorming to develop, to come up with that name. But I think it does represent what we do. And, you know, we won, run one of the most ridiculous barrel programs, um, I would say, in the country. I mean, the experimental um, nature of our barrel program is kind of ridiculous. Everything from uh, some of them haven't worked out like vanilla extract barrel, not we've never actually put that into a bottle. Um, but you know, everything from, uh, tequila to sea salt, um, to sauterne, that's kind of our go-to, um, and everything in between from bourbon and whiskey and gin, um, like for net barrels, you know, those are really hard to come by, but we have this beautiful site at its age and for net barrel. So we'll pretty much try anything, uh, at least once learn from it. And then, you know, we'll keep using those barrels if we love it. <laughs> That's your, that for net barrels, your partnership with Etta Rhine, right? Yeah. So well, we're good friends with, with the folks uh, from Etta Rhine and they make some of the most amazing uh, foraged ingredient spirits I've ever had uh, in the world. So for net and Amaro and Nocino and, you know, I, I'm, I'm really sad because I'm not going to get any for net barrels uh, for a while. So that cider um, however many cases we have left, which is just a few, that's going to be it for a few years, probably. Um, but yeah, the, you know, barrels like that are just so rare and hard to come by and they create such a beautiful nuanced cider. You know, one of the things with barrels is we don't ever use new Oak. We're always using, uh, something that's been filled with something else before. Uh, cause you know, cider's uh, like high elevation white wine, it's delicate. And so if you're using new Oak, it kind of overpowers and hides apple and sight, you know, it hides all the, the nuance and flavors that we really want to express. So we're always kind of using um, freshly dumped other barrels is, is our program and nothing ever new. You use the word nuance. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to take that from you because I don't use that enough, but I think that's such a valuable word, especially to describe the cider that we've had prior um, and the cider we're having now, there's nuance. Even in this small pour that I did, I mean, I get honeysuckle, I get honey, I get citrus notes, orange flavor, um, Mm -hmm. almost like an orange blossom that kind of becomes this oily citrus. Um, You get some spices, but not not the baking spices that maybe you'd find or think about in, in a typical Gewürztraminer as you talked about, but, but more of those, um, there's more, um, nuanced Indian spices, uh, you know, there, there's a little bit of stuff hiding there in the background. And as you sip through this, as I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm picturing maybe hanging out on that farm in, mm-hmm. you know, you have and looking out on all the things that are going on and just enjoying this 
for, for you and Amy, that must be such a wonderful experience when you open up one of these bottles and y- y- either it's just the two of you or some family or friends and just living that to where it's it's just you sigh and say, today was a good day. For sure. You know, I call it I call it the maker's curse. And so it's it's a really interesting thing because when when we drink our own. So when we're drinking a bottle of Defy or a bottle of Botanist and Barrel, it's one in a hundred where I'm able to not be critical. And I just can, am able to strip it all away and just be in the moment and enjoy it. If I'm drinking other people's stuff, it's very easy for me to do that and not be hypercritical, but it's the maker's curse. When you're drinking your own, you're always, you're always wondering if you could have done one more little thing to have made it sing even that one note little more. Um, but I'm learning. I'm, I'm working really hard. It's like an interpersonal issue to, uh, <laughs> to just be more present and just enjoy it um, for that snapshot that it is. And I, and I do do that, but we're all, we're just kind of like hypercritical on ourselves. I think, you know, every painter and every chef, you know, never would present something and say, this is absolute perfection. Uh, it could be so close, but there's always that one little striving for reaching for just a little bit more. But I think that's also what drives us to keep going. You know, farming is some of the hardest work that one can do to their body. And so you gotta, you know, you gotta be in this, uh, in this game for the love of it. This is not a, um, it's a lifestyle choice, I would say, as opposed to a business choice. Um, Cause I'm sure everybody in this game would tell you, you could make a lot more money doing many other things, but we're here because, you know, we truly love, um, you know, we're chasing, we're chasing perfection. Look, you want to keep the lights on. You want to keep gas in the uh, tractors and the equipment, mm-hmm. but the payment monetarily is what keeps that going. But the payment for a job well done will never exceed the financial payment that you receive. And I'm sure you sound very humble. And I think that comes from just your background and your family and growing up. But I'm sure there are times when you take that sip or work through a bottle and go, I'm really good at what I do. And I'm sure that's there because if it's not, it doesn't, you don't grow from that point to say, how do I make this better? And that's, and that's, that's me bragging on you. That's me saying, if, if you're not willing to see that or say that, you know, you can ask Dawn, you know, I, I grew up in the kitchens. I'm a chef as well. And there are times and I'll sit down and I'll make something and I go, I, I'm good at this. You know, I, this is okay. And it's, it's not me being braggadocious. It's saying this, I can do this. I have this skill. I have this talent. And these ciders and what we've had today and prior, you guys are really good at this. You're, you're tremendously good at this. Well, we, we appreciate those kind words. Um, and we, you know, we are confident in what we do, you know, like I, I touched on it earlier. It's, it's having the best apples and grapes that we can possibly source locally and grow locally on our, on our own farms um, or on our partners' farms. And it really just comes down, you know, it really comes down to that. And we know we have some of the best fruit in the South. You know, we're, we're very confident in that. Uh, and we're, we're very confident 
um, and our low intervention practices in the winery as well. And, you know, winemaking is, you know, this is a lifelong learning curve uh, to say the least. And so, you know, every, because there's, it's such a long process, you know, a short cider, you know, from, from us is nine months from, you know, pressing to it being released in a bottle and even longer for, for wines and for some ciders. And so, you know, your learning curve is so long because something you've done in an orchard or a vineyard three years ago is now coming to fruition uh, pun intended, not intended. <laughs> and, and then you see it, you know, then you do whatever you're doing in the winery and that's another year. And then, you know, you have to find these cause and effect, but this is a really long process. So it, it takes a lot of time and a, and a lot of practice. Um, and, you know, we're still coming at it. We get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. And that is a pun intended. Yeah. yeah. Which bottle should we go to next? Um, let's, let's go and do the, not what we may be. This is the one that is the good food award finalist, uh, for 2023. We had another single, um, orchard cider be a finalist for 2022, um, which comes from the farmer's orchard, which is in Canada, North Carolina. And so this is a late season blend. That's just from Morris orchard, which is in Amherst County, Virginia. Um, and we look at this like, high, like high elevation white wine. So this is hundred percent heirloom apples. So it's Ashmead's kernel, it's Palm Gris, it's Harrison, uh, and it's golden russet. And so you've got apples with aromatics, you've got apples, with tannin, you've got apples with lots of nuance, um, really good acidity. It's got everything, uh, going on for it. And so we called it not what we may be. I, I love the story behind this name. So this is Ophelia in Shakespeare's Hamlet. And so she has, you know, this very famous quote, we know where we are, but not what we may be. And when I, I was reading this and I, I related to it so deeply with making pet nut cider, because you don't know exactly, you know, the apples that you harvested, you know, we can get the chemistry on them. We know the pH and the, the, you know, the total acidity, we know the sugar content. Um, you know, we know what, what those apples are known for doing aromatically. Um, but when you go through the fermentation process with ambient yeast, you don't always know what's going to happen. And so that quote just meant, it just really touched on that. So, you know, we know where we are. We know what the apples we have are. We've been working with this orchard for six years. We generally know what that yeast, how it's going to perform and what it's going to do. But yet every time we do it, it's just a little bit different. And so we know where we are, but not what we may be. And so we love the cider so much. This is one of my favorite ciders we've ever made. Um, it's just beautiful on so many levels. And so we kind of, you know, that, that title just kind of means a lot, I think, to a, a natural cider maker in particular. This is so important to the connection now to what's in the bottle, the story, the history behind it, the varietals of apples that you're using. And I think where you are in North Carolina, where you are in the industry, the next level is, and you're helping to perpetuate this, the next level is I don't want to just go into the cidery or a bar that has cider and say, I'll take a cider. 
what people may do is say, I will have, or I'd like to have a cider with this varietal or this blend of apples. And mm-hmm. I think for the future of cider makers and apple growers, I'm hoping that this is now what gets elevated, that we become so interested as somebody might say, I'll have a Chardonnay, I will have a Pinot Grigio, um, or some sort of a blend that we're familiar with as a wine grower and a, a wine producer, that that's that next level. So you know that when you grab this bottle from Botanist and Barrel, that you know those apples and you're gravitating to that flavor profile that you're looking forward to. This is, I haven't tasted this. I haven't put this, you know, I haven't sipped this. First thing I get when I open this up is this yeast explosion. And then that brightness, the acidity, the the vibrancy of those apples just take over. And and, and there's a ribbon of just, it's almost like that that orchestra conductor. The, mm-hmm. the, there's this different apple that just kind of finds its way into the nose. It's just so wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad to hear you, you know, raise the point about taking cider and looking at it through the lens that most wine consumers would look at it through. You know, right now, on the it's uh, on the federal level, the agency that regulates cider and wine, we're not allowed to put vintage on a bottle of cider, which is a, a really odd thing to prevent someone from doing um, just because it's made from apples as opposed to grapes. You know, there are no AVAs. So, you know, there are no agricultural regions for cider. So, you know, on a national and local level, there's a lot of people, uh, myself included, you know, working pretty diligently to remedy those because it does put cider at a disadvantage, um, you know, in relation to what's, what else is going on. Cause it's, it's limiting the information that we can convey to consumers, you know, cause for cider, we should be talking about terroir. We should be talking about apple varieties. We should be talking about vintage because all of those things are really important to letting, um, you know, potential consumers know what to expect, what's in the bottle, how it was grown, where it's come from, all of those, you know, those things that we kind of, I would say almost take for granted uh, when we were selecting a bottle of wine, you know, from, from a bottle shop. Um, Cause it's just given that all that information is going to be provided. Um, so yeah, it's something that I would love to see remedied and, you know, we're doing everything we can to share that information um, with cider fans uh, within the the parameters that we're allowed to, I think it's coming. I, I think it's like anything else. I hope you're so. you're educating. We're raising the expectation. Mm-hmm. Once you get that level of knowledge, you thirst for more. If this is something you're interested in, and over time, I mean, to you and to the point. Look, cider goes back to pre you know you know pre colonial. I mean, huh? cider was the almost original. Um, consumed beverage because you couldn't drink the water. I mean, you had to have something it was available. The beverage. It was the thing that, <laughs> right. that we were all drinking, you know, right. for sure. So, you know, we come back to where we are today and this is as that, you know, hey, I'm more interested and people talk about it. We're still in its infancy for the cider industry, but we're not, but those additional things will start to happen. And, yeah, and sure. it's through the hard work that you're doing and, and helping people change perspective and some, in some cases, laws. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, any 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 uh, policy change is is quite a process, so we know it's going to take some time, but the work is it's happening, it's underway, and you know, I know I know we'll get there. You know, right now it's it's crazy to think about it. You know, cider was the beverage that people drank for you know all the the reasons you just pointed out, and then today in the United States in particular, um, you know, it's it's one percent of adult beverage that's consumed is cider. And it is growing. It's one of the faster growing categories, uh, but it's got a it's got a long way it's got a long way to go. I think cider had a bad reputation, you know, twenty years ago for just being this coyingly, you know, drippingly sweet beverage that was maybe not well made or something, you know, very mass produced kind of product. And now, you know, there's over a thousand cideries in the United States. Uh, I'm overwhelming majority of them make under 5,000 gallons a year. So we're talking about, you know, true family, small run, independent, you know, kind of small companies, um, mom and pops that are, you know, really focused on their specific region, apples from, you know, wherever they're located. And, you know, you're seeing this, this kind of resurgence of, uh, you know, the pendulum swings through time. You know, we're moving away from the McDonaldization of things, and I think going back to a more focus on on local. You know, where you would go to a farmer's market and pick up your groceries as opposed to a box grocery store. You know, and I think the cider movement is definitely um, a big part of that. I think that's interesting, as you point that out. It almost, as you're describing it, I almost. I'm reminded to slow down, to be in the mm-hmm. moment. And what you explained 20 years ago is not that enjoy this moment. It's it's not about, oh, yeah, I'll have a cider and I know what that sweet stuff. I'm going to mm-hmm. have this complex, to use your word, nuanced, enjoyable beverage. And this right here, the first thing I get is like a cinnamon note. You get the skins that come out on this. Mm-hmm. There's this brightness. There's this acidity. And, uh, you know, talk to, I, I, I asked this, and, and maybe it's just me wanting to learn more, but there's a, there's, there's, there's a bitterness that kind of lingers that, you know, the dryness that makes you just want to keep drinking more. You know, I'll sip, I'll pour, I'll drink, you know, what is that? Yeah, it's tannin. Yeah, so yeah, you know, so we, you know, we work really hard to try to, you know, when you do spontaneous, you know, wild fermentation, we don't have a mechanism to stop fermentation and leave sugar behind. So pretty much there are exceptions, but pretty much all of our ciders and wines are going to be truly bone dry. So not two grams of residual sugar bone dry, but 0.1 or zero dry. Um, you know, sugar is part of the human experience of the perfect sip or the perfect bite, you know, having all those things, you know, salt, crunch, you know, all umami, um, sugar is part of that. Right. So we do, that's why we have such an extensive barrel program because barrels can kind of trick your palate in a, in a sense, um, that there is sugar that, that isn't there. And so can co-fermentation with fruit. So we, we make uh, cider in a very different way. Like most cider is you make a base cider and then at the end you add fruit flavor into it. And pretty much for everything we do, it's, you know, if we're making a strawberry cider or, you know, some iteration of that, it's strawberries 
and Apple from day one in the tank together, co-fermenting together. So, you know, we're talking about nuance. The reason we do that is for nuance. We want strawberries to taste like fresh strawberry. When you back in strawberry at the end, it tastes like stewed or cooked strawberry. And then it's just literally a strawberry beverage with cider as the base. We want it to be a strawberry cider so that it's bright, fresh strawberry, but you still know it's a cider. So it's not like punchy with the flavor, but you know, and you get that with co-fermentation. So we do so much co-fermentation. It's not even funny. You know, we've made 500 plus ciders uh, since we've opened. So we usually, you know, release something like a hundred a year and all these different plays, you know, we're using all these kind of like wacky ingredients, everything from beauty berry to pawpaws, uh, persimmons, uh, blackberry, raspberry, blueberry, and everything is local. Everything's hyper-local with a few exceptions. Um, you know, we've done uh, things with pineapple and stuff like that, which obviously you can't grow in North Carolina. Um, but we do get citrus from Northern Georgia. You know, we're as focused on making sure things are, are local as, as absolutely possible. But that is how, you know, we try to achieve that nuance um, is to do co-fermentation. You know, you mentioned, you know, pawpaw and persimmon. And I look mm -hmm. at these in my mind is in in the new world that we are. I think these are other things like some of these varietals of apples that have just disappeared or maybe have been saved by a small, you know, orchard provider. But pawpaw, persimmon, these are heirloom varietal fruits that I I would consider that. Maybe, maybe I'm mischaracterizing that. But those are things I think you're bringing back from the history of what we had in this country in the beginning. What are some of the things you're doing with what I would characterize as an heirloom varietal? What are you doing with those uh, those fruits? So, you know, with with pawpaw and, and persimmon both, um, you know, we we're fortunate enough to have the only pawpaw orchard uh, well, there's a few more coming on board, but that has been established in the South. Um, it's really sad when recently passed, um, but he has this, you know, beautiful pawpaw um, orchard. And there's only, the fruit was only going to three different people. And we were lucky enough to be one of those people. Um, and so, you know, we process, we harvest them. We wait for them to fall on the ground. We process them in house. So we use an Italian tomato strainer to remove the peel and the seeds. Um, we freeze the puree and then we add that puree in with uh, cider, um, that's pressed really similarly time in the season. Um, you know, what grows together, goes together kind of mentality. And then we've played around. So we, we make just a straight pawpaw cider co-ferment. Uh, and then, you know, we're, we're very playful and experimental. And so someone had, I don't even remember how or when had the idea of um, adding a little bit of Jasmine tea. And so we experimented with that. And it's become one of our most popular and favorite ciders. It expresses a lot like passion fruit. So it takes the tropicalness of pawpaw and then pushes it into an even more, um, outrageous tropical expression in cider. Um, and then we, you know, Papa is pretty present. You know, you definitely, that flavor really comes through even with co-fermentation. Persimmon's much more, uh, it's a much more softer, you know, muted flavor um, once it goes through fermentation. So we, we tend to 
treat that in a barrel. Um, so what our favorite expression of that is, is persimmon co-ferment that's then aged in local gin barrel. And it gives it that little kind of like piney juniper pop. Um, but you still have that really nice, subtle undertone of, of persimmon. And so we're, you know, we're doing them in different quantities. Like sometimes it's one pound per gallon ratio and other times it might be six pounds, kind of just depending on, you know, what the fruit's telling us uh, it needs to show itself. See, I knew this was going to be fascinating. And I, I, I know, I knew like going in this, but you talk about this new thing and the next thing and the next thing. And for me, it's like, all right, I want that bottle and I want that bottle. <laughs> I'm almost going to have We're doing to, our job then. We're doing a Asheville great job. Asheville is way too far away from where we are just outside of Philadelphia. So we need to open up, you know, a satellite uh, botanist and barrel here in the area. Because I think that, you know, we talk about that. How do you ship nationally? How can people find? I'm sure there are limited releases that you have just in your tasting room or your area. How do people find and get a hold of these great bottles? Yeah, so we do ship to 39 states across the U.S. Um, you can also find us in local bottle shops in seven states, um, just through distribution in the U.S. And so if you go to our website, uh, we also have, um, there'll be a ship to your door button that'll be there. And that's just at botanistandbarrel.com. And then we also have a couple of different clubs. So we have a, a, a wine club. Um, that's for the Defy Wines. Uh, we have a three bottle for Botanist and Barrel. These are quarterly shipments. We have a six bottle for Botanist and Barrel. And then we have my favorite, which is called Anything Goes. So it's where we um, are including some of the more interesting co-fermentations um, or we're doing paquettes or a lot of like wine cider hybrids. So where it may be a, a really strong blend with a lot of Mavedra and cider or something like that. Um, so anything goes is, is just like the really fun, playful one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty easy to get stuff dropped off at your door. And you're at, on the social medias at Botanist and Barrel? Yeah, it's just at Botanist and Barrel. And then, so, you know, we have two locations. So in Cedar Grove, that's where our winery and farm exists. And we've got a all outdoor venue there. Um, we have a wood-fired pizza oven. We do tons of uh, pop-ups. We're really excited. We've got Mission Pizza, which is a James Beard nominated um, chef coming to do a pizza pop up there, you know, using our oven. Uh, we do a bunch of festivals there um, and a bunch of fundraising um, kind of festivals. It's like all tied in together. Uh, and then we have Botanist and Barrel Asheville. And so the social media tags for that are Botanist and Barrel Asheville. Um, and that's kind of a much more... Um, fine-tuned uh, experience. Um, you know, in Cedar Grove, it's all outdoors. So it's picnic tables. You know, it's a little more seasonal. You know, we're open in winter. We actually have those cool greenhouse domes that you can rent. Cool. Um, but we don't do music or have food trucks or do, you know, food. Uh, we kind of, December through February, we shut all that down. Um, but then come March, it all fires back up. So we do music residencies there. Um, and then Asheville, it's much more polished, like epic charcuterie and cheese boards. We have one of the biggest selections of tin seafood um, you'll ever That's find. That's right. In the the sardines and oh man, oh man, it's crazy. Like we had just eaten lunch, and I'm like, wow, we could have done this. This was who thinks of this? You guys are just so it's just creative. What we, it's what we love, you know. It's it's really just a reflection of what we're really fascinated with. You know, I'm 
uh, both Amy and I are huge Tin Seafood fans, you know, from traveling overseas, you kind of fall in love with this stuff and you realize how amazing some of it can be. So we're actually getting ready to launch a Tin Seafood Club um, out of the Asheville location because awesome. we've got so many people that are um, getting really excited about it, you know? So I think we're up to, we've got like 70 different uh, Tin Seafood, you know, can serve us in there now. And it's just really, um, really fun and, and beautiful. And then, you know, Asheville, we're doing music every Friday night now and doing more, you know, um, we've got Chef Jay Chong, who is just on the big brunch on HBO, um, doing a series of pop-up dinners. So, we're, you know, we're just trying to have fun um, and, you know, show, you know, cider is the most, um, one of the most parable beverages on earth. It kind of almost goes with everything. So just trying to show how beautiful cider can be and put it in all these different, uh, you know, positions. Like you can drink cider with music. You can drink cider with, you know, almost any meal that you're having. Um, and just, you know, but also having, not being pretentious, just, you know, letting cider be the humble, beautiful thing that it is and just having fun. Well, you said having fun. We loved our, our first time in Asheville. And to that point, I know that people go there looking for the beer scene and it's an amazing mm -hmm. beer scene but you're going to come across this one particular cidery that I can speak to botanist and barrel that this should be a pin on the map to say, don't leave Asheville. If you haven't stopped here and the winery that you have out in Cedarville, right? Cedar Grove. Yeah. Cedar Grove. It's near Durham. It's near Durham, North Carolina. All so right. right there. I've already gotten a go bag packed for when we go back. We'll definitely be back. And I, this, this right. whole idea, this, this pizza thing and, some of the festivals, we'll, we'll keep tabs on that. But it's exciting. What you're doing is exciting. This another, We have this one more bottle here to talk about and enjoy. Which, which is this one? Okay, so the last one here, this is uh, Pink is a Feeling. And so the native grape to the southeastern U.S. is muscadine. So there's lots of different uh, individual varieties of muscadine. There's Carlos, Magnolia, Noble, you know, it could go on and on. Pink is a feeling is cider that's re-fermented on muscadine skins. So muscadine has this really bad reputation for being super sweet um, and not being um, something that, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, no, no, I don't, I don't want anything that involves muscadine. Like you just hear it all the time. So we've kind of, at Bonus Beer, we've kind of set out to reclaim muscadine and show it in a new light. So we're doing bone dry, you know, wild fermentation expressions of muscadine. This is one of the first ones we did. And when you um, re-ferment on muscadine grape skins, it kind of glows when it's really young. Um, it glows neon pink. As it ages, it, the color deepens a little bit and gets a little darker and less neon glowy. Um, so I came across this uh, beautiful quote from D'Angelo Williams, who was a football player that played for the Carolina Panthers back in the day. Um, and it was... Uh, pink isn't a color to me. It's a culture. And so, you know, his mother had a bunch of bouts with, you know, with breast cancer. He also played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So. Okay. That, yeah. yeah. I mean, I knew he moved on at some point. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's really where his notable career is. I mean, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we, you know, we borrowed from, um, you know, from, from him with this, this quote, um, you know, about pink is a feeling. Um, and then, you know, we tie that in. So, you know, we donate the proceeds of this bottle for breast cancer research. Because we've had love, some folks in our love, family. Love so. the color. I love the, it's this. Beautiful. I love the color. It reminds me of pomegranate, pomegranate yeah. juice. And 
I think a lot of times when you open or enjoy something, whether it's wine or rosé, you're expecting this light tinted pinkish hue. And I love the deep, vibrant pink here, but it mm -hmm. reminds me of pomegranate. So yeah, my mind sure. is already thinking in pomegranate, and I'm sure it's not going to be that. <laughs> no, it's going to taste like muscadine. And, you know, a lot of people ask, well, what does muscadine taste like? And I just respond, muscadine tastes like muscadine. There's really no, it's not one of those things where you can say, oh, well, it's got this spice or this thing. Muscadine is its own universe. It's, it just is muscadine. And I think it's one of the most beautiful fruits. I love just eating them, you know, fresh off the vine. Um, and I love them fermented. We serve this amazing sandwich with Asheville bar. That's we call it the Carolina. It's a uh, Carolina ham from lady Edison. Some of the best ham, you know, made in the country, if not the world um, it's muscadine jelly, but um, bread, like local baguette and butter. It's just so simple, you know, four ingredient sandwich. And we pair it with um, pink is the feeling. And then we have another version. It's called grapes have feelings, which is the juice. Um, and cider that are both barrel fermented and then blended. Um, and then we have a new one that's called Muscadine State of Mind that might be my favorite of all time. That's a Muscadine paquette, um, but it also includes the juice. So we haven't removed the juice. So it's like a Muscadine spritzer. And it's just absolutely uh, beautiful. It's one of my favorite things um, on earth right now. And it is one of those things where I, I don't think I could do Muscadine State of Mind better. You know, it's beautiful, organically grown grapes um, from our buddy T.Y. And it's it just makes me happy just talking about it. Uh, I, I have a huge sense of pride um, and it just makes me happy every time I get to drink it. My first experience, we had this in a little taste in the cidery, but I think sometimes after you had a number of different things, mm -hmm. it plays. And I haven't had, you know, my my. Senses are still here, I believe, where they're not dulled by tasting too many things. So I, I think I'm having, th this is wonderful where I'm having even, and, and I'm sure if this is a freshly opened bottle, you might have a different experience in something that may have been sitting there just a little bit longer that had been open. Mm -hmm. There's a vanilla, there's like this oily vanilla note to this. It's almost as if, and sometimes you'll have a, a, a wine where you wonder where all that residual sugar came from, because that's not what the grape would taste like when it was picked off the vine. And this bottle represents what if never have had, never having had a muscadine, if mm -hmm. I picked one of those and I put this in my mouth, I feel like this would be that experience in a way, but now you've treated that fruit so respectfully to take out so much of the character of it that this is what comes into the glass. I get the, um, the, the a smokiness to this, um, an okay. earthiness to this. For sure. That, that I'm really enjoying. This is, this. thank you for bringing this into our lives, in our world and 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 creating some, something that's so wonderful. Yeah, I get, I get so excited for the first time I taste muscadine with, with folks. You know, and this, it, you know, if you grew up in the South, you know, there's muscadine juice and that you can get at the convenience store. Um, so it's kind of, it's very, you know, it's very present and around, but you know, once you, you get a little bit more North or, or West, it's just, you know, people are like, what is a muscadine? Uh, you know, we, we brought muscadine state of mind to uh, a couple of festivals this past winter that were up North. And I just love watching people taste it for the first time and trying to figure out what on earth it is. 
and if if this is what it's supposed to be like um, and all this you know a lot of times you know in the wine world the word foxy is looked at as a flaw um, I don't look at it like that you know that way um, but a lot of people describe it as as foxy and I think it's a, a great way of describing it um, because you know foxy is kind of it's a it's a way of presenting yourself um not necessarily uh, a set flavor profile uh if that makes any sense it makes sense and th- as you describe that foxy experience look i i I, th- I like something that's new and different or interesting that i've never had before because it it awakens my senses to mm-hmm. just a whole new experience and i think that I always I, I I always wonder where do you think or where do you believe your you know, if somebody were to say botanist and barrel the like the mission statement is I think very clean and wholesome and you talked about the provenance and the terroir but what would you say are the characteristics that that consistent thread that that says I right, I expect this from a, a botanist and barrel product or defy wine product? Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, you know, you're going to get local agriculture. Uh, you know, you're going to get no additives. Um, you know, you're going to get creativity and you know, you're going to get something that will pair with, uh, any meal you're going to have. And then, you know, we make a, we make so many different things, you know, it's hard to, um, it's hard to box us in. So, you know, we always, um, have this idea, let's expect the unexpected. Uh, so I, I, you know, I hope that's kind of the sense, you know, that, that people get from us, um, is that every time you visit Botanist and Bureau, you're going to find something new and we don't expect, you know, we serve a lot of flights and we don't expect everyone to love every single thing in the flight. It would be near impossible. Uh, I mean, it happens, um, you know, and we, we love all of them, but at the same time, you know, we're making so many different things that, I don't expect uh, everyone to love everything. And I'm, you know, we're totally okay with that. And we embrace that. We want you to come find something that uh, where you absolutely fall in love uh, for the first time. Um, You know, the other thing I hope that people get a sense of from us is um, this, you know, we truly believe in Southern hospitality. And so we really want to engage. um, And if, you know, people want to, you know, geek out and, you know, talk and, you know, nerd out on all the science and the specifics of all this stuff. We want to have those conversations with you. If you just want to talk about the best meal you've ever had, we want to talk about that with you. We want you to be um, so comfortable. um, Like you just feel like you're, you know, hanging out with a long lost cousin in the backyard at a barbecue. Um, You know, we want everyone to feel welcome. Um, you know, there's this uh, hashtag cider is for everyone. Um, you know, I change that and I kind of think, uh, you know, natural cider, natural wine. You know, this is this, this is the the liquid of the, of the people. You know, this is stripped down. Um, it, it's it just it is exactly what it is. And just like all of us, you know, we're all kind of perfectly imperfect. So I hope that those are the things that, uh, you know, we represent and, and convey to folks. Loud and clear, man. You conveyed that perfectly. This has been such awesome. a, like, this has been a treat for me. This has been, I mean, I'm grateful to your family's heritage, to what they've done to bring you and I together to this very moment and to what you get to share and bring to the world 
This is so wonderful. I know you're working hard to change North Carolina legislation and, you know, the 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 natural wines and ciders and and the, the perception of the the you know the world the country all those things is there anything we haven't talked about on the podcast today that you want people to know about what you're doing or anything that you want our listeners to know about no i mean i would just um you know the only things i would close out with is you know we were, were uh you know, COVID changed things a lot for a lot of businesses. We kind of took a step back from doing a, a lot of collaborations. We got a little insular, um, you know, as I think that's understandable, but we're really excited. You know, we're bringing back a lot of collaborations and, and building some new partnerships this year. And so, you know, what I'm really excited about this year is we're doing, um, you know, we sent some muscadines up North to artifact cider. So we've got a little collaboration going on with them. We've got, um, an upcoming um, project with Enlightenment uh, Wines and Meads out of Brooklyn. Um, so we're doing a mead cider uh, blend that we conditioned with a little bit of uh, raspberry and muscadine juice, which I'm super excited about. Uh, really interesting um, wine, mead, cider hybrid uh, going on there. We're also doing something with our friends from Graft, um, which is really exciting because you know, both of us, uh, along with Artifact, you know, we're, we're making natural cider um, and, you know, we're all kind of like carrying the torches in our local regions uh, for, for making natural cider. Uh, and then we're also doing something with some folks uh, called Crooked Run in Virginia that um, started out making beer and then now have launched a really cool natural cider and wine program. So we're, you know, we're kind of doing some cider collaborations that uh, you don't always see happen. Um, but we're, we're really excited about, you know, doing these uh, cross terroir, um, you know, projects with folks. Look, you're excited. I'm excited. I'm the consumer. I get to enjoy all the hard work <laughs> that you're doing. And Brooklyn isn't too far from where we are. So uh, we'll definitely keep that on our radar to uh, make sure we try to get up and, and, and try to enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Lyndon, thank you so much to you and Amy and your family and, uh, you know, everybody you have working with you you know, we're grateful that you are, uh, you know, part of our fermented adventure family. And uh, like I said, I've got that to go bag pack and I can't wait to uh, get down back to your area. And uh, Dawn and I decided, you know, we need to get down there at least once a year for sure and enjoy the, you know, everything that everybody's doing down there and uh, come down to, you know, the, the trunk was sagging, the, the car was sagging on the way back with all the bottles, but uh, I missed that Fernet bottle that, uh, that that you guys had, but uh, hopefully there'll be one in stock at some point. And this this club, this cider club that you have, people should you know go to the website, check that out, you know, sign up and uh, get some of these bottles that you're going to find that are going to you know hit your doorstep that you're not going to get anything like this cider or the wines that you're producing, the fruits that you're creating. This is awesome. So, Lyndon, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, we had a blast. Thank you. Yeah, Rich, thanks for thanks for having me on and thanks for sharing everybody's stories. This is awesome. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>